0: From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: Yes. We are here. This is the Badass Counseling Show, lightning round. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whether it is from Saratoga Springs, New York, or Karen and Susie and Billy and Tommy down in South Africa or our friends over in Lithuania and all parts around the world. It's just super duper to have you here including Blue Earth Minnesota. Great to have everyone here. I've got Casey over in the booth. I've got Rob
2: sitting right next to me here hey. running the show. Rob, how are you today? Hey. I'm good. By your side as always and on your side as always. Oh, so nice.
1: Well, let's go into it, Rob. Let's not wait around. I've got to do first- it. Do it. Do it. I've got the first question right here. I don't have a lot of memories of childhood, but a lot of triggers. How do you go about healing? You start right there, Gary. You start with that very first trigger. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was yesterday. You start with just the very last emotion that you had. The very last one. or Most recent. Just start right there. Maybe it was small. Maybe you dropped a soap today and it banged your toe. All right? And it hurt. And it sounds silly, start right there. Take out a pen and paper, and journal about the banging of the toe. It really hurts. Fucking hell, this hurts. And use the big language, too. That's good. It helps exorcise those demons of that feeling, so to speak. And, uh, and you know, maybe you'll spend four minutes on that. Maybe you'll spend 15 minutes. Who gives a shit? However long you spend, start there. Then go on to the next one. Maybe it's from yesterday. Maybe it's last night when you burned your favorite pan, and now it's encrusted, and you got the and I had to stand there scouring it and I have wasted time so that I couldn't get to the grocery store. So I wasn't able to cook for today and I'm just pissed that my night sort of fell apart. Or maybe it's what Susie said to you the other day or whatever it is. Start with what you do remember. Start with the feelings you do have. See, you talk about being triggered. You have a lot of triggers. Triggers are fundamentally, it's not that external thing. It's their internal stuff that that external thing is triggering. You have things around you that trigger you but what's being triggered is the dynamite inside of you? Those charges. These you have things from your past that have, memories that have emotional charges attached to them, and it's those emotional charges that are sort of being electrified. They're being recharged. They're being excited. They're being stirred up. They're being triggered. So the problem isn't what's happening around you that's triggering you. It's the fact that you have these all these fucking sticks of dynamite inside. And see, so it would be very easy to just spend your life running from all the things that look like a lighter or a match that might light the fuse of the dynamite. The real solution is to go inside and to begin to one by one. Yes, it is tedious. Yes, it's a pain in the ass. Yes, it means feeling that shit as you're releasing those feelings and those memories. And you keep flushing it out until those are decharged. Yes, it seems that way, but it's in terms of TDM or just a lot of work or overwhelming at times. Yeah, it's all those things, but it's also healing. And that's where we begin to feel lighter. That's where we begin to calm down inside and peace begins to come the more you go into it. So you don't have to have a lot of memories about childhood. You really don't. People say, Sven, how do I heal my childhood if I don't have a lot of memories? I don't have any memories. I guarantee you have at least one. I guarantee it. Somewhere in you, you have at least one memory of childhood. Maybe it was when you were 14 and you got punched on the playground or maybe it was your high school graduation or you have at least one or let's just say zero, absolute zero. Start with what you have from last week and work your way backward. And what you're fundamentally doing is you're releasing more of the emotion and what that is sort of telling your soul or what just happens is then another memory comes up, then another memory comes up. And the more you do that, the better you get at releasing those memories, at releasing all the feelings attached to those memories, and more comes up, and more comes up. And eventually you will start to remember, whether it's in a dream, whether it's when you're driving to work and you have a random thought, whatever it is, or you bump into someone, whatever it is, and then you'll have one memory from uh, much longer ago, and then eventually childhood, a memory will come up, and you work on that one. And then another one will come up, and you work on that one and bit by bit. But usually, when someone has forgotten all of their childhood or most of their childhood, it's because there's so much emotional, so many emotional charges attached to those memories that the body has shut those down. So, once the body, the person gets better and better at releasing, opening the memories and decharging those memories, you then become better at it. And you're also making room for more of those old ones that got packed way down to finally come up. It's finally safe because you have the tools and you've created safety around you for you to let out your real feelings. And so trust me, the process will take care of itself. You don't have to force yourself to come up with the memories. The memories will come as you deal with whatever charges you have now. All right, next question. Dismissive avoidant dumped me to go back to X and I feel rejected. How do I heal? Um, really, the 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 fact that this person was dismissive avoidant um, in this particular situation doesn't really matter. The, the What really matters is... You got dumped for the person to go back to their ex and you feel rejected and you're wondering how you heal. Yeah. the Real problem is that getting dumped and feeling rejected and sucks. It blows ass. It just sucks. And we've all been there. It doesn't feel good. There's no fucking, can it be redeemed? Are there redeeming aspects or ways to heal from it and learn from it? Yes, of course. Always. There's always room for learning. And if you're not learning from your shitty experiences, you're missing the meanings. You're having the experience, but you're missing the meanings. And as T.S. Eliot says, that is one of the grand mistakes of life, okay? Have the experience and miss the meanings. Uh, But how do you heal? You allow up all your feelings. The sadness, the feeling rejected, the feeling unwanted, the feeling unloved, the feeling unlovable, the feeling unwantable. All of those feelings and all the fears, Shit, now I'm going to be alone forever. Gee, no one, but, uh, and I'm never going to find anyone and I'm never going to have anyone as great as that person or whatever all those feelings are. Bring up all those fears and feelings. But then the real thing is, is be asking yourself in your journaling and in your counseling or whatever, but especially in your journaling and writing letters to that person that you do not send. What you want to be exploring is, as I am now alone or as I have this experience of being rejected, is it stirring up memories of feeling this way earlier in life, that I'm unwantable. So is the feeling unwantable or unlovable um, or unwanted or that I don't matter that you're experiencing now from this rejection? Is it an echo, a reverberation of it happening long ago, perhaps by a parent? If so, then that's the shit you really want to explore. You think your biggest pain is this fucking relationship? No, no. This is just a reverberation of that. That's the Mac Daddy back there. And if you can tap into and start flushing out that shit, that's where the real f- healing fucking happens. But not only that, that's where you become sort of like a fucking relationship, fucking superpowered person because you just walk into your future relationship because now you're a different person. You're no longer belabored and and uh, and um carrying the weight of and the implications of all those messages you got there back in childhood. Because those sorts of messages influence or outright determine every single decision, especially in relationships. That's where the real fucking healing is. Rob, it looks like you have one. I can tell you have that itch look.
2: You you have this sixth sense about that, and you are correct. Ah. Uh, This is a hard one as far as I'm concerned. You'll be able to handle it, I'm sure. Hey, Sven, you ask, what are we afraid of our voices saying when we are alone? But. What if the thoughts are really dark, super self-loathing, self-harm, et cetera? The more I journal, the more depressed I get. I'm going through my past has shown me how cruel life and people have been. Beautiful. I love that.
1: In fact, honestly, you're so much further along in saying that those deep thoughts are really fucking dark and ugly and nasty and wretched and vile. You are so much further along than a lot of people even people that I work with, you know, just starting out. And you want to know where you are right now? You are in the middle of where I want people to be. I want them to get down to that deep, dark, nasty, ugly shit. That's the real fucking shit. And what you really believe about yourself, we're taught to believe about, about yourself and the shit of what was done to you. Seeing those truth stories, seeing those origin stories, seeing what it made you feel. And then the, the potential implications of that. Holy shit, holy shit. My parent did X, Y, and Z or failed to do X, Y, and Z. My God, why am I still having a relationship with this person? Or, you know, and you don't ever have to change your change relationship with this person, but maybe you realize I want to or whatever implications. So it's origins and the stories themselves and the truths, all the feelings that go with it and thoughts and so forth. And then all of the implications. So you being in that dark, deep stuff. Best thing possible, as long as you are persistent in the work of flushing it out, persisting, 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 at the speed that feels right to you. As long as you are persistent, you are exactly where you you wanna be and need to be. It doesn't feel good, but this is the shit that so many people are afraid of going to because they're afraid of seeing a lot of that stuff or feeling it. It can be overwhelming. And you say, boy, I've gotten more depressed in, in some of this stuff. Yeah, that's the point. People think you're going to, that's why a lot of people don't even want to do counseling, right? Because boy, I started to talk about it with a therapist once and I just felt worse. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. It's like going to the gym. It's like, you know, do you think it's going to feel good? I don't go to the gym to feel good. I mean, it's, you know, you, you reach a point where it's Fun to lift heavy weight for me and, you know, intimidate the little guys who are you not, I don't mean little in stature, I mean young guys, forgive me, wrong word choice. You know, the young guys that are in there and, you know, and it's just like some old, us crusty old farts, we come in and we lift some seriously fucking heavy weight. So yeah, that feels a little good. But I don't go to the gym to feel good. I go into the gym to kick my own ass. The feeling good is once the work is done. Well, that doesn't even necessarily feel good because you're in the recovery period, right? That's when the growth happens is in the recovery. But you have to go into the the gym and get the fucking workout. You have to tear those fucking muscles down. You have to suffocate them, right? Choking off the flow of oxygen, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the feel good is after the recovery. But that's a good therapy. Good counseling. A good soul workout is, yeah, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel like crud because you're finally addressing shit that's been packed down there a long fucking time and it's ugly, and it hurts, and it's nasty. But if you persist in the medicine, and the medicine is the journaling, the counseling, the flushing, the writing of letters, and the other tools I talk about in the book, such as Sedona Method, such as the accepting technique, and some other things uh, that are in my book, there's a hole in my love cup, with these tools, if you persist, the more diligent you are and the deeper you go, the greater the healing. Yes, it's gonna feel like shit. Yes, you're gonna get depressed sometimes. Journal that shit out. And, and use the other tools in the book to get that stuff out. But to the person who said that, you are in such, I know it doesn't feel like it, but you are in such a great spot because down there is where all the action happens. That's where the muck is. And as long as you're getting that muck out of there, you are so much closer to your healing than so many other people who don't want to go down that deep. I applaud you in your work. I mean that so sincerely. I'm just excited for you and wish so many more of my clients would go where you are. And yes, it is dark. And don't be afraid of the goblins and ghouls and monsters and real beliefs and real thoughts and real feelings that you have down there. And keep flushing and keep flushing. Here's one of the things about those deep dark feelings, especially things like hatred, is they too shall pass. I've had clients who said, uh, "Sven, I had you know three years, you know, where we unlocked the the hatred." Hatred is always such a touchy one and a lot of people don't want to touch it, but I've had people say, you know, I unlocked the hatred and we work together and maybe they stopped working with me. I've had people come back to me, you know, two or three years later, or I've had people that I've worked with and they just stayed right through it all. And it took a couple of months. Usually my work with people doesn't take more than a few months. And, uh, and they say the hatred is gone. It's gone. But people went off it on their own. Maybe it took, you know, longer, a couple of years, whatever, but, It's like any other feeling, and those goblins and ghouls inside and all those powerful feelings, they too will pass if you give them an avenue, an exit strategy, a way and keep flushing them out. Even the darkest stuff will pass if you keep flushing it out. All right, next question. Here we go. Come on, rock and roll. Hoochie coo. Let's go. Good answer there, dude. Thanks, dude. All right. Um, Help. I'm going through a bad, venomous breakup. How do I get through it slash out of it? I'm really sorry. It sucks. Venomous breakups, toxic, you know, is the common word nowadays. But venomous, hurtful breakups are the worst. It's, or it's some of the worst. And it's bad. its I'm so sorry for all the pain that you're going through. And not just the loss and the ending of a, a relationship that you obviously at one point had hope for. Uh, but that it's so hurtful. And how do you make it through? Well, I think you know already part of the answer is to be flushing out your feelings. And everything that's really going on inside of you. Um, but also... Um, I would ask you in this situation, what do you most want to do, Carly? Not what do you most want to happen? Because obviously you would say, oh, I want it to be done and I want you know, all this to stop. No, no, no. I'm saying of all the things that are within your power to do, what do you want to do? And I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just curious what it would be. That would be my first question if you and I were counseling. What do you want to do in this situation? And then I would ask you the question, with no pressure to act on it, what keeps you from doing the very thing you want to do? Now, maybe the thing you want to do is rush it through court. Maybe the thing you want to do is just get the hell out and move to a different state. Maybe the thing you want to do is whatever it is. Are you doing the thing you want to do? And if not, why not? What is it you fear in doing the very thing you most want to do? And I would address that fear. Because a lot of times, for instance, in toxic breakups, and I've been in some, um, you know, there's I don't want to hurt the other person. Or I do want to hurt the other person, but I don't want to hurt them. Where I want to make them stop, and I have the ability to make them stop, whether legally or by some information I have about this person that would shut them up or whatever it is. But I don't want to hurt people. I don't like hurting people or whatever it might be. But I kind of want to because I want it to stop. And so we were talking about what's the fear of doing the very thing you need to do for your own sanity. And that's really what's at the root of this. What do you need to do for your own sanity, Carly? What do you need to do for your own sanity to maybe to bring this to a halt, maybe to hasten the end of it, uh, maybe to, to sort of throw a brushback pitch? Does this person, and one of the things, and I generally don't like to get this sort of tactical in arming people, uh, but a lot of times when someone's harming us, uh, they need to know that we have a nuclear weapon. What's your nuclear weapon? If someone's persistent in hurting you, do you have a nuclear weapon? And and, and very often we don't have to launch the nuclear weapon. We have to make, them, make it known that we have the nuclear weapon. And I'm not big on showing people how to fight generally, but sometimes, unfortunately, we have, the, we have to defend ourselves. We have every right to defend ourselves. And if someone is antagonizing, hurting you in some way or another, do you have a nuclear weapon? Do you have a way of hurting them that would shut them down? That if they knew you had it, and maybe they do know you have it, maybe they need to be reminded of that, that if they knew you had it, they would back the fuck down because they know you have the power to hurt them. And maybe they do know then, but they're not afraid of you ever launching because they think you're such a wuss that you would never do it. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Sometimes, unfortunately, we have to do hard things to save ourselves. And maybe it's time for that in this relationship. So without knowing more of the specifics, that's about the most I can tell you on that one. Uh, But you need to start listening to really who you are and what you need to do to protect yourself, to save yourself, to have hard boundaries, because this is about you now. This transition is about you coming out of it, healing and making your own growth and your happiness a priority. It's not about... Taking care of them anymore. All right, next question. Here on TikTok, we're back over to TikTok. We had several on YouTube, just had one on Facebook. Now over to TikTok. Uh, T. Jess asked the question, reasons for someone staying in victimhood? Um, Listen, I've spent 30 years defending victims of all ages, all flavors, stripes, colors, um, age ranges, size, very large men sometimes, believe it or not, are victims of all different types of things. You wouldn't think a large male would have, even straight white large males can be victims of some horrible things as well. All right. So nobody um, is immune from being a victim in one way or another. Um, so to answer your question, reason for someone staying in victimhood, um, there's so much going on inside a victim, depending on what the uh, particular crime is that's being committed against them, so to speak, Um, People stay because they've been conditioned to stay. And this is more often than not, it is real childhood shit here. Conditioned to believe that you don't have worth, that you don't matter, that you're not important enough, that that you standing up for yourself, if it might hurt someone else, then it's bad. You should never stand up for yourself. Sometimes we stay in victimhood because there's no way out or it feels like there's no way out. And that's actually a tricky little piece. Certain types of victimhood... I've had people say to me, well, Sven, there's no way out. There's no way out. And I've had other people say to me, um, people who have been in that state before, they say, Sven, there was no way out. But I had to find a way out. And it was hard. And one of the refrains I hear very often, not always, not always, from people who were in states of victimhood or situations that were extraordinarily difficult or even scary life-threatening sometimes, one of the refrains after they get out, whether it's a year or 10 years or 20 years later, is and again, I don't always hear this. This is not an absolute. One of the refrains I, I hear is, I wish I would have gotten out sooner. I really could have if I would have really put my mind to it, but I was just so scared. But I was scared even when I did get out. I just wish I would have done it sooner. Yeah, so... Why do people stay in victimhood? Because they've been conditioned to believe that this is all they're worth. They've been conditioned to believe that they suck, they're unwantable, they're no good, they're um, not wanted, they're not loved, they're not worthy, that who they really are doesn't matter, that the only way that they can get love is by sacrificing themselves. Some people stay in victimhood because they've given up on life. I had a, we taped an episode of the show earlier. It was a counseling episode of the show we taped earlier today. And we were talking with uh, a, a young person who had at the age of four people, four serious conversations in her head and four and five and six, she had the realization she didn't want to live. Her home life was so miserable, so horrible that she wanted to die. And she knew what suicide was. And at age six, she made the resolution to not kill herself, to live four, five, and six. Think about that. I, I just can't get that one out of my head today. How depraved parents would have to be to push a child to that at age four. Are there are kids still in freaking diapers at age four. I mean, it's just madness, maddening. I just, I'm enraged at parents who would ever create such a home that a child would even know what that is, let alone contemplate and have to make a decision to live. And so so the original question was, reasons for someone staying in victimhood because that's all they've ever known. Because they, maybe they died a long time ago and they're just a walking corpse and who can blame them? when their life was stolen from them. There are a million reasons for people staying in victimhood. And this is why victimhood not only requires, at least with the people that I work with, not only extraordinary compassion, but the work, someone to hold their hand through the work of not just getting out, which is huge. But that's only half the battle because if you don't go into the work of the origins of the victimhood conditioning, if you don't do that, guess what that victim is going to do? They're going to walk right back into it. The real work is finding out where the hell this came from because it wasn't this relationship. The setup, the
2: conditioning for this relationship predated this relationship. And the episode Sven is referring to is called Mother, I Never Had You. It originally aired on December 7th. If you want to look it up in the back catalog, we would be happy about that.
1: All right, fine people. Much more to come right after this short break.
0: So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work, and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car, in the driveway, night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change. A lot. My default response stopped always being anger. Now, I manage a team of salespeople, and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me, and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform, and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass...
1: Hi guys, good to have you back. Um, I just had a drink of water, and it was so refreshing. All right, so I'm ready to go. I have two questions queued up here, and then, but the first one I want to take here is on Facebook, um, and it's an offhanded comment, and it's a positive comment. It's fantastic, and I love it. But I want to comment on the comment, and it's from Tammy, and Tammy says the gym is my savior. I feel uh, so much better. Four years straight, finally a constant for me. My old crusty ass was breaking down. I love that. Um, Someone taking control of their life, taking their life back, and for that person, it meant the gym. Now, in that vein, um, I want to address a separate issue that this is not about Tammy. Tammy sort of gave me the diving board, the springboard to go into what I wanted to touch on, so thank you, Tammy. Uh, And I'm glad the gym has become your friend. God bless you. Um... For those of you who believe, as a great many men do, actually, that when you're, you know, people will say, oh, you know, the pavement is my salvation. I just love running. When I'm feeling like crap, I go out for a run. Or some people say uh, yoga. When I'm, you know, down or when I'm angry or whatever, I do yoga and it just gets it out of me and so forth. It doesn't get it out of you people. The physical exercise, the physical release, swimming, running, Playing a game of rugby, uh, you know, just going out into the driveway with your stick and your puck and, you know, your tennis ball and fucking hitting 100 shots against your garage door. You know, whatever your physical releases are, going for a run, you know, going for a whatever you do, a lifting workout, whatever you do physically does not release emotional pain the origin sources of the emotional pain what it does is it releases the physical manifestation of the emotional pain this isn't a tricky concept here and I know I'm fucking it up I'm sure but basically what you've got is this when you're nervous about something let's say you got to give a speech in front of people or you got to you know you got a big meeting coming up or um, you know, you got your yearly review at work coming up and you're nervous about something. And let's say you're walking into that yearly review with your boss. What often happens when you're nervous or the night before or the week before? Heart starts to palpitate, right? Pits start to sweat a little bit. Uh, maybe your knees tremble a little bit. Maybe you start to go flush. Your skin gets red. Whatever it is. Have you ever had been nervous and had it manifest somehow physically? well obviously you have we all have or have you ever been in love and have it manifest physically oh my heart starts to beat faster i i start to breathe you know shallow breaths or um i get nervous i i stutter whatever it might be physical manifestations of a feeling if you've ever been nervous or angry ever gotten angry and your veins start to sweat or your your voice elevates the cadence of your voice gets faster you get louder okay You're having a feeling and it manifests physically. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. There's a feeling and then there's an actual physical manifestation of the feeling. Okay. So recognizing there's a feeling and then there's this physical manifestation of the feeling, of the emotion. Then when you go to the gym to work, if you're feeling really fucking angry at your coworkers because they screwed it up and you're having to cover for their sorry asses again, all right? And you're angry and work day is down. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to bang this thing out. I'm going to work it out of me. Or I'm going to go for a run and then I get done and, oh, I feel better. What you did was you took care of the physical manifestation, this part, the sweaty pits part, the shaking knees part, the heart palpitating part. You took care of that, but the feeling was not given access point to get out. was not given. And how do we get it out? Words, people, words, people, words, people, writing letters, journaling, that sort of thing counseling, but you can't pay a therapist every time you got some feeling, right? You got to find ways to do this shit on your own, man. Okay. So the emotion is still in there and it needs to be given words. Now you may have packed the thoughts down. You don't have the thought anymore because the, the strong uh, feeling, uh, physical charge is gone, but the feeling is still in there. All right. That's what has to be addressed. That's what we're talking about. So just as an aside, if you have strong feelings and you use the gym, for instance, to get out the, the physical release. But can I recommend that you just take a freaking pad of paper and a pen into the gym? Maybe you already do because you track your workouts. I journal between sets. I do. That way, When especially when I've got like anger inside of me over something, I'm journaling about the anger, but the physical release is coming out through some huge lifting. It's great. I'm getting better workouts because I'm allowing all the feelings to come out at the same time. So that's one pro tip there. But uh no, you have to address the actual feelings themselves, not just the physical manifestations. That's the reason I wanted to sort of use your your comment as a springboard, Tammy. Now, here's the question that I am itching to get at. Um, this may go down as question of the day, at least for me. Please speak about vicarious trauma as a therapist. I struggle. Um, please speak about vicarious trauma as a therapist, period. I struggle, period. Okay, um, now... I know most of you are thinking, well, Sven probably one one hundredth of any of us are therapists or clergy or counselors or you know somebody engaged in uh, counseling other people. So how the hell does any of this apply to any of us? Because of what she uh, she he I don't know uh, brings up about vicarious trauma. Now, vicarious is where we we know what that word means. Vicarious. If I'm living vicariously through. Um, my favorite football player, you know, whether football is soccer for you or football is American football or football is rugby, you have your favorite player and I'm living through them and I follow their life and I'm so excited and I get excited when he's worked up or I'm living vicariously through my child who's now off at college, let's say, and and all the fun they're having and I'm living vicariously through them. And so vicarious trauma then is where someone else is going through, just at its simplest form. My understanding, if I'm wrong, somebody cue me in here. But in its simplest form, vicarious trauma is simply where someone else is going through or has gone through trauma, and I am experiencing it, or I am at least feeling the feelings of it. It's affecting me. It's impacting me. And this, as a therapist, as a clergy person, as anyone who listens to other people's stories and gets involved in other people's stories and feelings and hurts and wounds— This is a powerful thing. What do you do with your own shit? Well, okay, now we can begin to see how there's crossover, how there's transfer, how this affects all of us, especially nowadays. Think about what's going on in the world right now. I mean, it's been going on since the beginning of time, but think about what's going on. A whole lot of people are in a whole lot of trauma. A whole lot of people are in a whole lot of pain. And what do you do? How, so many people don't want to touch other people's stories, don't want to get near other people, don't want to get too involved in the worries of the world because they can't handle it because their own shit is hard enough, let alone taking on the trauma, the pain, the sadness, the anger, the hurt, the dying, the whatever of other people. And But this is a person, Xana Doodley Doo, is a person who is a therapist who literally specializes in going into other people's trauma and helping them navigate. And so what I hear you saying is really a question for all of us. What do I do with it? How do I keep it from bogging me down and ruining my life? It weighs on my soul. Um, My girlfriend and I, uh, my girlfriend is involved. uh, She's had a very successful business, uh, built a very, very, very successful company in Manhattan over the last uh, 25, 30 years. Very successful, and you know, her industry has contracted, and so her business has contracted, but still a very successful company. But she's also, in the last five years or so, gotten involved in local politics. And we live in a good, good sized uh, city, and she's now an elected official in that city. And uh, we have to draw lines in our relationship that um, we are both 100% each other's supporter and want each other to become their fullest self. But I cannot handle her stories of local politics because it's so frustrating for me that it, all these really complex problems and I can see the impact and she explains the impacts of so many things and how it affects everything, how it's affecting our water, how it's affecting our you know traffic in our city, how it's affecting bees. I mean, boy, you talk about indicator of environmental, environmental viability, bees alone, right? Everything, and I get so mad. It's like honey, we can't we have to have a line there. I can't. She says I totally understand, Sven, because I'm the exact same way and w- with your work. You know, I obviously I strict confidentiality as far as names and identities of clients and so forth, but the stories every you know, therapist has, a therapist or has to have some outlet for getting out the stories, right? Or and and talking about their own feelings with respect to those stories. And I of course, as you might guess, I journal. <laughs> um But she can't bear, like, if I come home from one of these or I I have had a counseling episode of the show, there's only so much of some stories that I can tell her where she's like, I can't, I can't. You know, if I've had a a man who was raped as a child by his mother or, you know, whatever it might be. She says, I I just can't, Sven. It's too much for me. So we honor those lines in our relationship. Why? Because the point is, is we each have, well, you know, we're each a love cup. And when we take on someone's story, what we're taking on really is we're taking that rock. As a therapist, I see myself as a rock collector, really, or a uh, excavator, um, and taking the rocks out of someone else's bag and in that bag on our back, you've heard me use the idea of uh, we're each carrying around this bag on our back. And every time something bad happens, especially in childhood, it's like one more rock. Or every time someone hurts us, it's like one more rock in that bag Till eventually we're carrying around a 500-pound bag of rocks on our back. You wonder why you're depressed. It's life. It's all that shit weighing you down. And the only relief is to empty that rock Bag that bag of rocks on our back. And so many people, when they're listening, you know, to their nephew talk about his hard times or or your best friend, you know, talking about all the problems she's having with work or her boyfriend or whatever, is you're taking a rock from them. But so often what happens is we put that rock then into our own cup. That's the problem. That's the problem. In other words, I take it into me as part of me. I don't have a mechanism. A lot of people don't have a mechanism for what to do with that rock, what to do with those rocks when you're trying to help someone in need. And so we put it in our own love cup. Well, it doesn't take long before my love cup or my bag on my back starts filling up with your rocks, your rocks, your rocks, or your manure that was in your love cup is now in my love cup or in my bag. If We're gonna just fully mix all the metaphors here. Um, And so what I do in my work and I've had to do this since back when I was a pastor and my parents did this and they taught it to me as a kid just by how they lived and what they would talk about, their crosstalk with each other. Because dad was clergy and mom did this shit. And she was also director of education for some very large churches. And uh, this whole notion of self-care as a person in a helping profession. I have a brother who deals with the dying while well, he was recently retired, has dealt with the dying for 30, 40 years. Hospice, social worker, Cancer care, so hospice. It's like, oh my God. Talk about, it, you know, just taking on people's trauma every day if you don't have an access point. So what I do when I'm in counseling is I'm taking rocks and then I take it home and I've got lovely rock garden in my backyard and in my woods, wonderful rock gardens with all these other people's rocks because it doesn't have the emotional charge for me that it does for you. So the real question is, but when you're first taking them, it does have that emotional charge. And I hear your question, vicarious trauma as a therapist. What do I do? You, more than anyone, have have to be involved in the work of flushing it out. You have to give it avenue. And I know you've learned this. I know you've gone through massive training to get where you are. And I know this was part of your training. So I know this is what you know. I know it. But it's the doing of it. It's just like working out. It's the doing of the workouts. Plenty of people can say, oh, I know what I got to do to get in shape. Yeah, but you ain't fucking doing it, are you? and to you. And believe me, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I've had plenty of long spells in my life where I wasn't doing it, and you got to do it, and you have to dive into it. And maybe, and it's not just doing when you're on vacation. This has to be part of your ritual, part of your daily disciplines, especially if this is your work, that you have to be allowing that trauma, allowing those emotional charges. See, you've got these memories now. Their stories are now inside of you, Right. And now they have emotional charges on top of your own emotional charges from your own past if there are still uh, emotionally charged memories inside of you. And I'm willing to bet there are. So you need to be expurging, you know, purging out both. But very often what happens, and this is where a lot of therapists, and I'm not saying this is the case with you, xanadoodle which is such a cute name, um, but very often what happens with a lot of therapists, the reason they burn out or clergy or people in helping professions, the reason they burn out isn't because of the work they're doing necessarily, um, but because their cup was already full of crud, their bag was already full of rocks before they began the work. And this is why in some uh, branches of therapy, um, it's required and in some uh, helping professions, it's required that you're doing the healing work on yourself, deep therapy on yourself before you even start in your work, and the more you're working on that, your past shit, the more you're entering your own love cup, which means you have greater volume to fill, you have greater room inside of you to take on the traumas, and furthermore, you have, you have more practice and you more, have more experience at flushing it out. But I'm willing to bet there's stuff in there from your own past that has to come out as well, but every one of us has to address this issue of vicarious trauma. Every one of us is in pain, then human experience is to feel other people's pain. That is the natural human state. And if you, as a normal human being, not a therapist, if you as a normal human being are tuned into the pain of your brother and your sister, whether it's the one of your blood or the ones on the other side of the world, if you feel that pain and you don't have avenues of expression of getting that out of you, it is going to become too much and it is going to bog you down. And you know what happens then? That's when we begin to disconnect from life. That's when we begin to disconnect from our brother or our sister is when their pain becomes too much for me. So I have to, but that's what causes the disconnect between humanity, between humans. And we become indifferent to my brother's pain, my neighbor's pain, my fellow earthmate's pain is when it's too much for me. So imagine if we all were better or if just you got better, you got better, you got better. And just emptying out that cup, you'd be able to take on and be present for another person's pain rather than one more source of disconnect in the world. One more person disconnecting from his brother, from his neighbor, from his fellow person on the earth for this brief spell of time. Wouldn't it be better if we were more connected and more able to be present to the pain of others, at the root of our political problems, at the root of our socioeconomic problems, is pain. Why? Because our pain causes us to disconnect from our authentic self, our compassionate self. Our pain causes us to disconnect from the pain of others. Our own pain that we need to heal and flush out causes us to disconnect from life and just make it about
2: good old me and mine. Rob? You are, you are spot on, uh, as usual, Sven. I did some spot research while mm-hmm. you were talking there. Mm-hmm. And that term vicarious trauma used to just apply to the indirect trauma experienced by trauma therapists. But now it has a more general application and can often affect someone's entire worldview. Oh, for sure.
1: And you, and the way I just explained it now, you can see how it would have in someone's worldview. It's just like, fuck everybody else's pain. Fuck them. Oh, they're a piece of shit. They deserve it. Oh, they're lesser people. Or they're fat people. Or they're skinny people. Or they're stupid people. Or, oh, those really smart people. Fuck them. Or fuck the dark-skinned people. Fuck the white-skinned people. Fuck the brown-skinned people. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Oh, you don't, there's your worldview forming up right there because you've disconnected from their pain because you can't even handle your own pain. And so you just disconnect, fuck them all, and you start looking down on life and looking down on other people. And that's when we start hurting people. And when it gets really bad is when we start hurting people we claim to love. Now, I don't know if that's any worse than hurting people. You don't know. In some ways, it's not worse. In some ways, it is worse. But and, and so even when we're hurting our own blood and our own children, it's from the exact same shit. We, that's what generational trauma is, right? Where my own pain passed down to me from daddy, from mommy, from whomever. And I, somebody's got to heal the fucking pain. At some point, you got to heal your fucking pain or you're going to pass it on to somebody. Guaranteed. Heal your shit, people. And truth is, you wouldn't be here unless you were, which is why I like you guys.
2: Rah. That was heavy.
1: <laughs> ah i like that stuff though i mean that's that's, no, that's my great. juice man that's Excellent. my juice Excellent. thanks
2: brother appreciate it i got one for you if you'd like
1: i would like we're gonna take one or two more here maybe three and then uh we're gonna call it quits because i know that rob oh shit mo i think i just lost my hold on did i just lose my my tiktokers this, Are they going to hate me for this? I'm on the other nope, side. No, my live... That. I It says on TikTok, my live access is suspended. What happened? You said the wrong thing? Offended somebody. What? Yeah, I guess... Isn't what? that fascinating? What? 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 Isn't that... And fuck them. This has happened before. Uh, over whatever, two and I, almost three years of being on TikTok, you'll do a live and somebody will just get pissed off. Everything mean, doesn't like me talking about people's pain or something. And so then they can report it and then... Uh, so I guess TikTok folks will not get to see me um, on lives for uh, I think it's a week they suspended for a week or something like that.
2: Anyway, it's crazy. Yeah, that, there, fuck them. that was empathetic and sensitive. There wasn't even any obscenities in it. Why would they? Say? I think there was a, a fucker of shit at the end, but fucking a well okay whatever let's go we got
1: people here with us i exist to serve you and fuck them we all right. got the
2: podcast the podcast lives on lives so on this question is interesting to me how do you get over loneliness how do you do the flushing and go through the darkness while protecting your kids from it all there are some days when it's really hard to keep the brave face for them
1: yeah and you know what um it it seems like the highest priority is always just focusing on them and the the brave face and so on and so forth. In short term, it is. Long term, it's not. I'm not saying don't have the brave face. I'm saying the long-term strategy has to be the healing, the flushing. So what that means is uh, you have to be blocking off periods of time, whether it's daily or uh, weekly. You have to be blocking off periods of time and creating space between you and your children whom you're responsible for physical space, whether it's you know when they're off at school during the day, yeah, but Sven, I'm at work. Find some fucking time. You have to make time to heal you. You have to, because long-term, it's that unhealed stuff inside of you that's gonna do the most damage moving forward with your kids and infect your parenting. You have to. It's not even optional. That is absolutely mandatory. You have to make this a higher priority than anything else in your life. You don't have to go to every one of your kid's you know, baseball or basketball practices or games. You don't, you really don't. You know how many freaking games growing up, you know, or orchestra concerts or choir concerts I was in, uh, you know, that my parents actually went to, sporting events that they actually went to before high school, I could name on half of one hand. And I didn't care. I wasn't playing for them. I was playing for me. You don't have to go to all your kids' shit, all right? If you want to, great, God bless you, go for it. But if you got other things that need to happen and this needs to happen, You're going to have to make sacrifices in other areas to make this happen. There is no higher priority in the rearing of children. I mean, apart from their physical safety, food, and shelter, there is no higher priority than your healing of your past shit because that is infecting or outright driving every single decision you make. All right. I'm going to take uh, just one or two more here, and then we are going to call it a day, folks. It's a sunny day where I am, and I hope it is where you are, or at least that you are the ray of sun, making it happen. Here we go. Here on Facebook, when dating someone, when should you start to introduce your kids to your partner? His kids are 16 and 18. So in this case, presumably we're talking about his kids, not your kids. Um, 16 and, well, obviously it varies depending on age, right? To some degree. When sh- when introduce them to your partner? Um, well, I would ask a series of questions. One, how serious is the relationship? Okay. Presumably, presumably, but you never know if you're considering the introduction thing, it's a rather serious relationship, right? Okay. Well, that's good. But there also needs to be, it's one of those things where there has to be a lapsing of time. I, you know, at 16 and 18, it's not the same as if they are six and eight. Um, but if you haven't been dating, I'd say for at least a year, two years, three years, I would wait but at 16 and 18, not quite as as imperative, again, as if they are at uh, younger ages. Uh, the other question that because they are 16 and 18 is ask the kids themselves, do you want to meet this person? And in the beginning, they have some, they should, I believe, give, be given some control over that decision. Remember what I just said, in the beginning. So if you've been dating, let's just say year and a half, two years, and you uh, you, both partners feel that this might be a good time to meet the kids, ask the kids and say to them, when would be a good time for you? Uh, would you prefer to do it now or would you prefer to wait You know, six months? And I'm giving you options. I'm not giving you a blueprint, I'm giving you options. And one of the reasons you wanna do that right out of the gate before they even meet you, why that benefits you as a person who is not the parent and the parent, you could even have the parents say to their kids, you know, and who asked this question? This was Mary, right? Mary asked the question. Uh, have your partner, let's just say Ma- your partner name, Mary, your partner's name is Paul. Um, and say to Paul, Paul, you know, or if you're Paul, <laughs> uh, say to your kids, you know, Mary had the idea, you know, she'd like to meet you and I'd like you to meet Mary, um, but she had the idea of asking you what you're comfortable with. Okay. Do you see what just happened? by Paul saying that to his kids, do you see what just happened? His kids heard that you're giving them some power. Now, anybody doing that is worthy of respect. So if you have young people who are respectable people and act in respectable ways, they will see that as a as a piece of honor you have just given them. You have honored their autonomy. And and maybe the way Paul states it is, you know, Mary's wondering what would what would be a good time frame for you. Would you prefer it now, or would you prefer for it in you know three or four months? We'd like to make it happen, but we don't have to rush it. And by telling the kids that, you're giving them power over their own lives. Okay, that's good, versus it being forced on them. And I've had plenty of clients over the years who had you know a lover forced on them, so to speak. Um, and then uh, and so allowing the kids in on the decision. Because then you become an ally, not just this person who's now being imposed on them. And just take it easy. And what I recommend is, uh, you know, in terms of uh, how to execute it, you know what they say about kids, you know, teenagers especially. If you want to talk to a teenager, the best way to do it is not this, is not face-to-face, it's side-by-side, side-by-side, whether you're on a walk or whether you're watching something on TV, or at a sporting event, or going through an amusement park, or something side by side. Why? It's less confrontational. And very often, people of that age, and a lot of people, but people uh, during those teen years, find that to be more conducive to opening. But the bottom line, so go to an event that they might enjoy. And just make it about the event. Doesn't have to be some big sit down, even meal beforehand or after. Maybe it is Maybe you go out for tacos beforehand and then you go to this event and you do it together and at the end you say, hey, thanks. It's really nice to meet you guys. So it's something, you know, (laughs) it's something that they would enjoy. Did you ever hear that when you were a kid? I remember, Rob, when I was younger, um, I read a piece of information. It was probably some psychology study and I think I was in college at the time when I read this or whatever it was that basically said, if you ever want someone to like you and you're going on a first date, take them to uh, I believe it said basically take him to a scary movie or a, a thriller type movie, and the reason if you're going to go to a movie, but or you know something because those experience why get the blood going so much get they're excitable it, your your emotions are stirred up and your you you begin to have so you have these feelings mm-hmm. these high energy feelings and you equate it with well me Sven. Um and so they'll equate that high intensity or ex- intense experience with you and then presumably that'll bond them to you and make them like you more
2: a socially acceptable drug <laughs> right
1: right of course i never did it because i can't stand scary movies because i don't want to be artificially scared trust me i deal with enough scary shit in my life i don't I'm need that with you on that amen brother um so anyway when the, your question was about timing though and the the if you had to tilt one way or the other too soon or too late, I personally would tilt towards too late rather than too soon. Uh, unlike firing an employee or breaking off a relationship, which I would tilt towards sooner than later. But uh, yeah, that's that one. I'm going to take one more question though. Okay. Uh, Rob, if you have one, go ahead and fire away. I'm looking for one here as All right. well.
2: This is, uh, this is really hard um, if, if you're ready. hey, Lay it on me. All right. My 25-year-old son suffers from depression, social anxiety. He dropped out of college, lives with us. We've been through medication, therapy. He has no reason to go on, he says. He tells me when I die, this is the mom. He will then have no reason to live. He lives because he doesn't want to hurt me. Wait, back
1: up, back up, back up.
2: Yep. He says that when... When, I when the mom dies, he will then have no reason to live. Oh. He lives because he doesn't want to hurt me. I have your book. He won't read it. My husband is a narcissist, can be emotionally abusive. My son played volleyball in high school. Dad was coach. There was some trauma from that. <laughs> they live under the same roof. My son avoids him and just stays in his room. Oh. I feel really bad about this myself.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, the whole, and and maybe it's true of, uh, you know, I mean that that classic motif of father's the coach son's on the team ugh, ugh. Uh, You know, some fathers do that well, you know, and now it's moms too. It wasn't when I was growing up, it was fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, but that was different, you know, um, fathers with sons and coaching. There's the, either the, my son is the best and he gets to be, you know, have the prime position every time, or my son never does anything right, or I ignore my son. It's just, oh, it's crazy on sports fields. But yeah, I mean, that's, to be very honest with you, your son is suicidal, period. If he's saying it's something that basically when you die, I have no reason for living. Um, you need to be about the business of living, by the way. I, gee, I hope your health is in good shape, but that's not really the issue. Um, your son is suicidal, and your son needs to be in counseling. And you, perhaps you make his staying with you and living with you contingent upon him uh, being in therapy. Um, or you paying his way is contingent upon it, but he needs to be in hardcore uh, suicide therapy, depression therapy. No doubt about it zero doubt about it. I will I mean if you want me counseling your son, I'll counsel your son, right? Just go on the website and read the counseling page on badasscounseling.com. Um but clearly and if I'm really honest, your son does not belong around your husband. Sounds like your husband has already done quite a bit of damage and if he's around him every day, it's just perpetuating. And you are his, you know, sort of ray of light or that he doesn't want to hurt you at the very least. And he knows it would break your heart. Great. Thank God for at least that because it's keeping your son alive. But no amount of prayers are going to fucking fix this kid. No amount of, you know, it's just going to take him going into the shit, which he's not going to do with, presumably with you you around, you probably don't have the skills because most people don't to bring someone out of a suicidal depression, which your son is clearly in. He needs that. Uh, he needs that counseling. And like I said, he should not be around your husband. I mean, it's great. He, he has nowhere else to live. And, and him not wanting to work, like that's hard to figure out. Of course he doesn't want to fucking work. I wouldn't. I was in a suicidal depression for 12 years. And uh, there were a lot of times I didn't want to work. And there were times where I was just, I couldn't. He's so heavy from life. We were talking about that 500-pound bag of rocks on your back earlier in the show. And he's got a 500 pound bag of rocks. All the fucking criticism from his father, and I'm I and I this is going to hit hard and it's going to hurt. But I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth is that if your son were my client, I would I would ask him the question: Who has hurt you more? Your father and all he's said or done, or the fact, or your mother for not making it stop. And I'm not trying to hurt you by saying that, but it does hurt to feel it. But that your son is experiencing all of this at the hand of his father and no one is making it stop. And he doesn't have the power. Your husband has all the power. One of the questions I ask people in counseling, tell me the power structure in your family. Give me the percentages of power. that all Name for me every member of the family and then name for me the percentage of the power that each person has. And it all has to add up to 100. And I'm willing to bet your husband has a lot of the power and everyone's afraid to stand up to him and make him stop right? But the difference is, is it's been going on for a couple of decades with your son and he had no power. He still has very little power. The only thing he has the power to do. And this is the failure to launch kid. Our very first episodes of the Badass Counseling Show podcast. For those of you that have been with us from the beginning or have gone back to our earliest episodes and listened all the way through our very first episodes, Rob, do you remember what it was? Yep. Failure to launch parts one and two. Failure to launch parts one and two. Yes, in failure to launch, what does that young person have the power to do? What does that young person, what is the one power they have? Everyone wants them to go. They have the one power to stop. The one power that they have is the ability to not do what everyone wants them to do. That's simultaneously their grand fuck you to everyone, especially those that want them to go when they just don't have the ability and they don't have the motivation because all of their life motivation and their own voice and their own sense of worth and their own sense of self has been taken from them. They can't go no matter how badly. And some people say, oh, you got to stuff that shit down and grow up. Those are the dumbest motherfuckers that say that in life. Oh, you're an adult now. You got to get past that and just move on. Really genius. Really. Come back to me in 20 years and tell me how that theory fucking worked out for you because life has a way of grinding everybody down from the inside who represses their fucking feelings. And your son can't do it and won't do it. And so he's shutting down. And his ultimate fuck you to your husband one day will be to kill himself. That will be his um, opus, his magnum opus to his father. Fuck you. I'm going to fuck you up by doing the one thing I can do, you fucking old fuck. I'm going to kill myself and it's on, my blood is on your hands and you're going to have to live every day of the rest of your miserable life with my blood on your hands. You don't think this is true? I lived it folks, 12 years, suicidal depression. All right. This is what part of what suicide is, is it's the one thing they can control. Part of it is the fuck you to the person or persons who cause this pain. And whether your son is cognizant of it or not, that is part of what's motivating him. That's part of what's driving his suicide, A, that he just hates himself so much and hurts so much, and B, it would be a fuck you. So the boy needs healing. And you've put the tools in front of him, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't have the motivation. And maybe part of that is his fuck you to you, or maybe it is he just doesn't care. But this kid needs to be in therapy, and it's not fucking optional. She he,
2: says, has been in therapy for years. Oh, God. Also, oldest daughter avoids dad and uses boundaries. Oh, it Makes yeah. sense, right? Oh, God. Oh, okay. Um, if
1: your son has been in therapy for years and he's still suicidal, you need a new, he needs a new therapist. I swear to God, if, you know, if, if you want to counsel with me, like I said, go on my website, if, you know, the rates and how I work, if everything checks out, I'll work with your son. If it takes years to get out of a suicidal depression, you need a new fucking therapist. Sorry, you just do. All right. And it's not like this kid has time to waste. All right. His life is fucking slipping away. He And, and I'm saying this lovingly. I hope this, you know, you're, you're, Taking this in the spirit of love and compassion and care that I have for your son, it's just he he needs hardcore shit right now. All right, well, Rob, and um, thank you for that light note that you ended us all on, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's my
2: specialty.
1: <laughs> I actually there were so many good questions today, and that one on on. Um, on uh, vicarious
2: vicar- trauma. Yeah. I feel quite enlightened by that discussion that we had
1: at that. It was just such a great question. So, uh vicarious trauma of uh, do, Doo, I think it was. Zana doodly do if you are uh, still with us although I think that was on TikTok and we lost the TikTok feed cuz somebody evidently doesn't like my face or my words or my thoughts.
2: Somebody doesn't want truth. Uh, evidently
1: um, so we might have lost Anna doodly do, but she, even in absentia, gets the gold star today for best question today. Uh, lots of other good ones. There were some, there are some red stars, though. A lot of really good questions today. And it's always such a pleasure. Thank you so much for trusting me with your stories and your questions but trusting the, all these people that are, you're sharing your life and your stories with it's so helpful to so many people when you guys do open your hearts please check out the badass counseling show we have lots and lots and lots of past episodes with lots of juicy meat in them you can get it at spotify at audible apple podcasts iHeartRadio, radio and so many other podcast sites or just go to badasscounseling.com. uh we have counseling episodes that go up on thursdays we have lightning round episodes that go up on Sundays. A fresh one is going up, well, in a few hours
2: tonight, right? Given the uh, vagaries of time and space, when you record these one day and they come back on another, yeah, whatever you say is probably right. For
1: those of us with us live, yes, it's in a few hours, but uh, you'll edit that out, Rob, because this will go up as an episode. And
2: or I could just leave it in.
1: Well, you understand. Bada bing, bada boom. There it is. So, people, thank you so much for tuning in around the world. And on behalf of Casey in the booth and Rob sitting right next to me, have a kick ass day.
0: The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.